All right, so how many of you guys have ever seen an alien? Anybody? <laughs> Rachel, Rachel, you have not seen an alien. I almost did. I've almost seen an alien. Listen, so there was this one night. How, how many of you guys have ever, like, driven over the bridge right here? You know this bridge that's right over here? How many of you ever drove over the bridge, like, at night when it's, like, a little misty out? Like, a little bit of rain. It's just kind of, like, spitting like that. Have you ever driven over the bridge like that? Yeah. None of you? Do you guys live here? Yeah. No, all right, so I was coming back one night. Check this out. I almost saw an alien. I was coming back one night from, not back, but I was coming here. And it was like one of those nights, it was really dark out. And it was like, it wasn't raining, but it was just like that little, did I get you? Almost. I'm like one foot away. It was like spitting kind of rain, and it was like misty, and it was kind of those, one of those gloomy nights. Um, and so I'm coming over the bridge, and I'm tired, and I don't even remember why I was coming here, but I was coming up, and just as I hit the top of the bridge, I look over, and like, I saw the island, but I saw this huge, like a couple huge, not just one. I saw, I think, I don't remember how many, there's like three or four, flying saucers, <laughs> like legit, no, like legit, I see four flying saucers lit up brighter than like these lights shining in your eyes, and then... And then I see like this beam coming down from the four flying saucers, like right over on the other side of the bridge. And when I saw it, like, I don't believe in aliens, right? So I'm like, no way. And I slam on the brakes and I'm like, it's wet. So my truck's doing this on the bridge. And I'm like, freaked out thinking this thing's going to like zap me. I've seen like that, that one movie where like the aliens zap people and they just turn into dust. Have you seen that one? And it like gets in your mouth and you're like, ah, I'm eating a person. This is gross. You never seen that movie? I saw it. So I'm thinking that's going to happen to me. So I'm like slamming in the brakes and I'm like freaked out. And I for sure know in the depth of my heart, those are flying saucers. And what are happening to all of my friends who live on the island? They're being killed right now by aliens. And I totally believed it. All right. You can see this for yourself because it got closer. I realized that the four street lights at the end of the bridge are really tall and they have these like really bright wide things that look like flying saucers. And then like when the light hits it just right, mist, it looks like this beam coming down the pole right to the ground. So it's actually just street lights. But yeah, I'm an idiot. But I knew, I was so close. I was like, I know we're all gonna die right now. But they were just street lights. Um, so I felt crazy in that moment before I knew though, that they weren't aliens. I'm still thinking like, I need to call people, I need to tell people. I'm like, this is actually legit going through my head because I'm And I was like, these might really be aliens. Like, it looks so real. You need to try it one night, okay? During the evening, you'll know what I'm talking about and you come back to me and go, you're right, they look like flying saucers and aliens. You'll, you check it out for yourself, all right? This isn't ridiculous, it's not made up. So I'm thinking I'm going to call somebody right now. I'm thinking, who am I going to call that's going to believe me? They're going to think I'm totally nuts when I'm like, hey, there's flying saucers at the bridge. Come check it out. Like no one, they're going to just totally laugh at me on the phone and think I'm a nutcase, right? Have you ever had a story like that where you like, you thought something or whatever and like people just didn't believe you? And you're like, no, seriously, I'm trying to tell you, like I'm trying to convince you this, this really happened. And they're thinking that you are so crazy. Like you're totally nuts. Why are you even talking to me right now? Have you guys ever experienced that or are you just really smart? So you've never had it happen. It's just me. Okay, now I feel horrible about myself. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. And so I kind of, I can like relate to the passage that we're going to look at tonight because we're actually looking at Jesus, which we've been looking at for a couple weeks now, right? Jesus. And it's called, what? What's the name of the series? Jesus. You can cheat. You can cheat. It's a, <laughs> just in the neighborhood, right? Because we're talking about how Jesus 
came to earth, stepped out of his throne, and stepped into your neighborhood. You're like, my neighborhood? Like, Jesus is my neighborhood? Kind of. Because Jesus stepped out of heaven and took on a body like you and me. He became man. It says that the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh, just like you and me, and then he dwelt among us. And so we're talking about how Jesus' style of ministry is being among the people that he loves. And he spends time with us. And he came here and did all that to be among us. And this whole thing is about our relationship. It's about our relationship with God, first and foremost, and then our relationship with each other. And so we saw how Jesus moves right in. And then we saw that Jesus doesn't just move in. Jesus seeks out, like he looks for you. He goes out of his way. And we saw them, we looked at Matthew uh, last week. And we talked about how Jesus went to this party at Matthew's house after he walks by Matthew at a tax collector's booth. And Matthew, who's making all this money, sitting there at work, he's like, get up and follow me. And Matthew's like, okay, and leaves his job right there, money on the table and the whole deal, and just follows Jesus. And then he follows him back to his own house, and all these, like, tax collectors and, like, crooked people show up and start having dinner with Jesus. And so holy people, church people, spiritual people who don't get it, are walking by and seeing Jesus and they're going, why is he having, if my voice sounds like an electric guitar in a second, it's because I stepped on this thing. I don't know, sorry, I'm so distracted. (laughs) Jesus came to live with you. So these guys are like, why is he in there? Because I came for the broken people, he said. I didn't come for people who are already healthy, they don't need me. I came for people who aren't healthy and I'm like, praise God, because that's me. I need you, Jesus, I'm not perfect. I sin. I need Jesus to come in and do a better job in me than I could ever do. And so we saw that Jesus actually doesn't just sit back. He goes out and he looks for you. You know that Jesus is running after you spiritually? Like Jesus right now is pursuing you. If you don't know him, his heart is beating fast to introduce you to himself. The fact that you're sitting here tonight, God has orchestrated that. Do you know that? Because we believe that God is big, there's nothing he can't do, and he knows everything. So if that's true, you're here because God wants you here. That's pretty cool, because he wants you to hear what we're talking about tonight, which is Jesus is chasing you down. He loves you, and he wants to take whatever sin is in you, whatever brokenness or hurt is in you, and he wants to make it all right, because he died on a cross to pay for it, and he rose again to life to give you life. He's like, now I'm chasing you down so you can have this gift I want to give you that's totally free. So Jesus seeks us out. And now tonight we're going to look at the next part of this. And uh, this, one's, this one's really, really awesome. Not that any of these haven't been really, really awesome, but this one's really awesome. This one's Jesus brings us in. See, there's something that Jesus does when we believe in him. He takes us and brings us into something really cool that we're going to look at tonight. But in this passage, you're going to see that as he's talking about this, his own family thinks he's crazy. They're like, are you telling another one of those alien stories? They were streetlights, Jesus, right? You're telling people you're the son of God, really? Come on, Jesus. They're starting to think that Jesus is nuts. And so he's kind of got that. He's going up against that right now. So keep that in mind as we read this together. It's Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. It says, And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. 
And he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So you're probably like listening to some of that going, is Jesus a little crazy? Like, why did he ask some of those questions? See, earlier in the passage, it tells us that they were, his family was out looking for him because they thought he was a little bit nuts. They thought that something, he was, something wasn't jiving because he's out telling people that he's the son of God. And then people are coming in like massive crowds and just like coming around him. And they're like, this isn't healthy. Like, if he keeps saying this and these huge crowds keep coming around him, the government's going to hear it going to come catch our our son our brother and they're going to put him in jail or kill him and so they're out looking for jesus and they come to this one house and they see tons of people everywhere like you can't even get inside this house it's so packed look at verse 31 it says his mother and brothers came and standing outside they sent him called him they couldn't even in. they're standing outside and there's so many people there that they're like hey you inside the door look is there a guy named jesus in there like they couldn't even past the crowds you ever been to a concert where there's so many people and you try to get to the front of the stage so you can like get spit on a little for singing because you're like ah they're so great no you guys don't go to concerts yeah i don't do that either so (laughs) that must have been similar though where he couldn't even get through so he's like bro you in there yeah in the red turban can you walk in and find jesus we need to talk to him we're his family will you just send him out here because we can't even get in the door that's pretty neat I mean, just at first glance, it's pretty, because that many people that wanted to hear Jesus, and here his own family's outside, they can't even get in to see their own blood, because there's so many people that are craving to hear the message, craving to hear the truths, the things that Jesus is saying, and these aren't all like holy church people, like these people are from all over the place. There's tax collectors and Pharisees and all sorts of people with backgrounds broken lives that are like you wouldn't expect maybe to see around like the son of god who's perfect and yet all these different broken people sinful people are sitting around craving to hear jesus my first thought when i think about church isn't that you'd see a bunch of drug dealers just craving to come in and hear a pastor preach the word of god You wouldn't think you're going to find a congregation full of prostitutes and drug dealers and gang members and like why? Why would they want to go to church, right? But here, you see that. And almost every single time you look at Jesus, the crowd around him is made up of broken people. But there's a flaw in our thinking if we think that way. Because every single one of us is a broken person. So churches are made up of broken people. We might not all be extreme things like drug dealers and and, and all those other things I mentioned, but we're just as broken and we're just as sinful. And here we find Jesus and there's something incredible about him that is just drawing crowds to him and to actually stand outside. They can't even get in. And so they call into him. Verse 32 says, and a crowd was sitting around him. So like these people aren't just like chilling at the house. They're like sitting right around Jesus. They want to hear Jesus and what he's about to say. They're intently listening. Probably not you in math class, right? I doubt you sit around your math teacher like, teach us, please, we want to learn more algorithms. Like you're not like, you don't do that, I'm sure, right? No, you're like, no way. It's only day two of school. I'm already sick of it, okay? 
But these people worry. They're like, Jesus, teach. <laughs> Jesus, we want to hear. Say something else. Teach us something else. We're craving this. Even the people outside are dealing with being so far away. They're just trying to catch a word he might say. They're like listening through the windows and the cracks of the doors just being like, can I hear what he would say? That's what this is saying. They're pressed in is what this means here. When it says sitting around him, they're pressed in around him. It means their intent, like I want to learn what you have to say. All of a sudden, this dude comes up to Jesus where he's sitting with those people. The guy in the red turban, remember? I don't know if he was wearing a red turban, but he walked in. I don't know if he taps him or what, but he says, hey, Jesus. Listen, listen to his words. Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. That's going to be a big deal in a minute. The way he says that is going to be a really, really big deal. This message is so simple right now. It's just a quick, hey, your family's outside. They're looking for you. And if that's all you want to hear, that's all you have to hear tonight. We can just go by that. But it's going to teach us a huge lesson. And the crowd sitting around him that's pressed in, remember, they're listening really intently, like, teach us. They're about to learn something so huge from such simple words. He's told that his blood relatives, right, his, like, blood mother and his blood brothers, they're outside looking for him. And Jesus knows that they're looking for him because of their, their doubt, because of their unbelief in who he is. Here they are thinking he's crazy. He's off telling UFO stories again. Jesus, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And here's this crowd that isn't related to him, that he hasn't grown up with his entire life, and they're sitting pressed in around him, and yet his mother and his brothers are outside trying to drag him back to the house just to be like, quiet, Jesus, stop teaching strangers are tell me tell me more you see a weird unbalance there imbalance Jesus does because his answer in verse 33 tells us he says he answered them who are my mother and my brothers and you're going like you don't even know who your own mom is bro like you grew up with her every single day like you live in her house you don't know who your mom is you don't know who your brothers are you shared a room with them like, Jesus, are you crazy? Why would you ask a question like that? So it seems alarming, almost shocking that he would even say something. But I wonder if he's actually answering the question by asking this question. I wonder if that's exactly what he's asking about. These guys are looking for me and claim to be my family. But they're looking for me because they think I'm crazy the very people who should know me best, the very people who should trust me, the very people who should see in me that I am what I say I am are outside thinking I'm crazy trying to drag me away and they claim to be my real family. And here I have strangers and broken people sitting all around me and they trust and believe in me more than the people outside who are my blood relatives. So who really are my brothers and my mom and my sisters? Who really are they? It's not that Jesus didn't know them. I think Jesus was asking a really deep question here that was saying, who deserves to be? Who's proving it right now that they really are? Like, you should know me better than that. 
Have any of you guys ever go canoeing before? Any canoers? Have you been in the St. John's? <laughs> right? In a canoe? Matt has. Where's Matt's been there? Matt, like, swims in there. All right, so if you go to the, have you gone to like Lone Cabbage? If you guys know where that is, like straight up this road, Lone Cabbage, they have really good food. You can eat gator and you get in the boats and that's the St. John's River there. And uh, it's, it's longer than that, but you can get in there and there's tons of alligators right there because you can't kill the alligators. So they hang out there like, hey, you can't get me. So you can go see really big alligators. So anyway, I was out there with a buddy once and we were in a canoe and we're just kind of going up and down the river. And we're seeing these crazy, crazy big alligators going, this was the stupidest idea we've ever had in our lives. Why are we in a canoe? Like, I've seen swamp people where these things can jump up. Like, I mean, they could have just jumped in the canoe and ate me. Like, it would have been a great day for the gator, right? And so I'm like, we, don't, we shouldn't be here. So I'm freaking out. And my friend's like totally nuts and doesn't care and loves it. Like, these guys go hunting out there. And like, I won't. But they get out of the boats and they like walk around right there, like step gators doing whatever, walking in this thing. And they're like, oh, no, it's fine. I'm like, I'm not getting out of this thing. There's no way I'm getting out. And I sit in the boat, and they go, ducks, it's horrible. But hey, I'll admit it. So yeah, I'm in this canoe, and he's like, <laughs> and he starts shakes, shakes the canoe. And I'm like, stop, dude. I'm like freaking out doing one of those things. You ever done that? You're like, I'm not kidding. Stop, don't do it. And I'm like getting really tense, and I'm holding onto this canoe, and I'm seeing this gator eye me from the side. He's like 20,000 feet long at this point in my brain. I'm like, he's so big. It's Godzilla. Like, we're going to die. Like, I'm so nervous. And this kid's just messing with me. He's trying to flip this thing. And he's like, on three, I'm flipping us. I'm flipping us. And he's like, one, two. And so on three, I'm thinking, he's serious. So I jump the other way. Jump at all. And we go, whoop, totally flip over. Here I am, doing one of these. Like, ah! And we're like rolling this thing over, getting back in. I'm so mad. I am irate at this kid. Like, I can't believe you did this. This is the worst thing ever. Laughing, just thinks it is the funniest thing in the world. And all he did, he looked at me and he said, you know me better than that. That's all he said, you know me better than that. And I thought, no, I don't. Like, you're a crazy dude. Like, I know you too well. I know you would have done it, right? But the words in my head, like, as I think about Jesus in this moment, like, freeze from this passage for a second. Just hold it there. Think about what Jesus is feeling. Like, these people, like, you're my family. You should know me better than everybody. And you're outside trying to drag me home to, to tell me to be quiet because you think I'm crazy. It's like, you should know me better than that. Who's my family, really? And he looks around him and he sees these broken people who barely know him, but they hear the truth coming out of his mouth. And you know what? They're like, this guy's legit. This guy is serious the way he teaches with authority, like, I believe what he's saying. I want to hear more. Teach me, Jesus. And so Jesus turns and he says this, verse 34, and looking about at those who sat around him. So his attention's off his family, and now he's looking at the people that are sitting right there, the broken people. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. These people. These people who barely know me. I didn't grow up with these people. I didn't share a room with them. This lady over here did not cook my meals growing up. I just met them. But these people here, they are our true family to me. They might not be related by DNA testing and all that deal, but they're my true family. More so even maybe than the people outside in this moment. Now the cool thing is the people outside, his real family, we, we learn that how, they turn into incredible people of faith. Like one of Jesus' brothers leads one of the biggest churches in Jerusalem. Like 
his mother is married. Like, these are amazing people. But in this moment, this lesson that we're learning, just in this, in this picture that we're seeing, a family and family. You're like, what? <laughs> What's the difference? That Jesus wants to bring your family and make it even bigger. Jesus wants to bring you into a family that is spiritual. It's deeper than blood. It's more valuable. It can't be broken. These people that see who he is, because look at what he says in verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He just expanded our view of family. Some of us, especially in the South, have this like really tight view of our blood relative families. And it's awesome because parts of the Bible tell us we should. As a matter of fact, if we don't take care of our own blood relatives, it says it's wor- we're worse than unbelievers, right? And so it's important. Family is huge. But Jesus says, just as legitimate as your blood relatives are, so is the body of Christ. If you guys just look around you, and look at the people in this room. There's a lot of people in this room who are here because they believe Jesus is real. He is the son of God. They believe that he died on a cross to pay for our sins. They believe that he rose again after three days to give us life. And so they're here tonight to hear more about Jesus. They're leaning in. They're pressing in. We're the crowd around Jesus tonight. All of us, as we get around the word of God, study, we're going, Jesus, teach us. Like, we believe in you. He says, you're my family. You who do the will of God, who are trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior, we become an even more legitimate family than your blood relatives. And he wants to bring you in. And so tonight, Jesus brings us into this incredible family that's unbelievable. And the more we study it, the more our mind's gonna get blown by it. He says, whoever does the will of God you're like, what is that? Like, how do I do the will of God? How do I figure out what that is? Here's, here, here it is. You lay your life down at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I need you to forgive me of my sins and to save me. I'm trusting in you to be my savior. That's the will of God for you to follow Christ and give your life to him. He wants our dependence. He wants us to glorify him through depending on him and loving him as he first loved us. And so he says, if you do that, you're part of my family. And it's a really neat thing to be accepted into a family. I, um, when I lived in Guatemala, I had this one family that took me in. When I was living there, like, just after college, as a young dude, I was just chilling down there, working in a church and working in a ministry in an orphanage. And, like, I stayed busy a lot, but I didn't have my family around. I was down there for five years, and I only came home for, like, a week a year. So my mama, she cooks good, all right? I'm telling you, she's a sassy woman. She cooks good. Some of you guys have had some of her bacon upstairs, right? And so I missed mama's cooking. I missed hanging out with my dad and doing stuff in the shop. I missed my family during those years. And it was like, I loved what I was doing for God, but I felt kind of alone. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way before, you know? And people raising their hand. Yeah, me too. And so there was this one family in town, the village where I lived, that was like, hey, come stay with us. And they took me, they let me live with them, and they like fed me, and I eventually started calling like my Guatemalan family. I had a Guatemalan mama, and she would cook for me, and I had, they had, she had kids that were like similar to my age. And so it was a really cool feeling for someone who wasn't even like my blood relatives to say, stay in our house, eat our food. We're not going to charge you a dime. We just, just be with us, be part of our family. And so 
we went to this one thing. The dad worked at, at this chicken restaurant, right? It's called Pollo Campero. Some of you guys know Pollo Campero. Give a shout out for Pollo Campero if you know it. It is amazing. All right, it's good. When you're in Guatemala, it's really good. Anyway, because you're really hungry. But <laughs> so he works for this. He's a bodyguard for this like company, for the owner of this company. So in the capital city of Guatemala, they do this huge fireworks show that Pollo Campero Chicken Camp, that's the name of the restaurant, does. It's an amazing fireworks show. And so they invite me to go, and uh, I had some friends in the city that I wanted to see before I showed up at, like, this big, huge field that had gates all around it, and it was all fenced in. But everybody from the city would come up and press right up against that gate, right up against the fences, and it would just be, like, packed, mobbed with people all the way around. And the only people allowed inside that huge field were, like, this dude, his bodyguards, and their families. And I got invited. Like, I'm the one white dude there. Like, everybody else is Guatemalan. I'm the one gringo that gets invited because I'm this short dude. This dude's, like, this tall. He's got a big mustache. He's, like, a little round, like, Guatemalan. And he's, like, this is my son. <laughs> like, really? Like, they're buying this? Like, but they didn't care, so they invited me and his family. So I'm, like, yeah, I'll get there. I'm going to go visit some friends. He's, like, don't be late. Once you're late, the mob starts. You'll never get in the gate. Like, people will just pack around. So he gives me a time. I'm, like, yeah, sure, I'll be fine. I'm American, Guatemalan's usually late, I'll be early. Go to my friend's house, somehow I lose track of time. And when I get there, I am stuck in this mob of people, just like he said. And this mob starts to get a little crazy because fireworks are about to start and people start pushing a little bit. And I mean, it, it started actually getting like super, super crazy where people were like getting almost violent. This old lady like elbows me in the gut and like puts me on the ground. It's like little old mama and grandma, she's like, man, I'm like, ah, I'm like on the ground. And all of a sudden, I hear, I hear this gunshot. I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to die now. Like, in Guatemala, this is terrible. And it wasn't shooting at me. I look up, because I was basically in a fetal position, like, don't kill me, you know, like that. So I, like, peek. And the crowd had just went, and there was a gate right here. And standing at the gate was my little Guatemala father, a little fat guy, right, with a mustache. And he's holding up his pistol in there. He's like, like, he wasn't doing that, but he, he was really angry, actually. And he had shot off like a warning shot in the air. And then I just see him point, and he's like, basically said, that gringo's mine, type thing. And people are like, is he going to kill him? Like, what, what does he mean? And so I just get up and run. <laughs> like, run to the gate, just go. And so, like, they opened the gate, and they let me in. And in that moment, I just felt like, wow. Like, it, it got crazy. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd when it gets, like, crazy, and you're, it feels out of control, and you're like, Man, there's st stuff like that happening around our country right now, right? You just watch the news and you see that. It's this insane feeling where, like, I am so helpless. There's nothing I can do right now. I could get really hurt. And then for that moment, for someone who took me in under his wing, and I'm not even really his, his son, but he cared enough to, like, protect me, it was just this really neat feeling that, like, I was brought into something. Somebody that cared some of that would protect me. They'd watch out for me. And as I read this, I am so grateful. Because God never had to take me in. I was a rebel in my sin. I was an enemy of God. And he looks down and he's like, Rob, I love you enough. I'm taking you in. I'm protecting you. I'm bringing you out of that brokenness. You're destined to death because of your sin, but you're mine now. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's offering that to you. I don't know if you know that tonight. That as you trust in Jesus, what he wants to do for you is to bring you in to his family and make you his, bring you under his protection and love you and wrap his arms around you. And he wants to convict you about your sin and your brokenness and transform that and change that in you, not just leave you the way you were. There's so much that Jesus wants to do in you to make you brand new. And so tonight, as we're talking about what this looks like to, to live a life amongst people, to really give your life as a sacrifice for the gospel, this is part of it. Do you realize what you're, part of? Do you realize what you're inviting people in family? Now, it's tricky because, like, you have to give stuff up for this to happen. Luke 16, I'm going to read this to you. Check this out. It's, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wait, did he say the word hate? I, I have to hate everybody in my life that I love. I have to even hate my own life to be the, one of his disciples. What on earth could he mean? Jesus is saying the way we're loving people right now in our own just by yourself, is like, let's say that your love was charged by like a little double A battery, right? Click, take it out, pop it in there, double A battery, that's what I'm loving you with. That's the amount of strength of my love. And Jesus is saying, what you need to do is give your life up, give up trying to be the one loving. Let's take out your little double A battery that's a measly little piece of junk and you focus your, your life on me. And as you love me, what I'm going to do is take this nuclear-powered battery that never, ever runs dry, and I'm going to put that in. You ever seen Iron Man? You know how he always upgrades? Like, this is a major upgrade of your battery here. This is a major upgrade of love because I'm not loving you with my love anymore. Now, Jesus says, he doesn't mean hate them, like be mean to them. He means be willing to give all of that up, to love Jesus more than anyone in anything. And as we do that, then you'll start to love the people around you with the love he has instead of your little double-A battery. You'll be loving with the love of Jesus himself. It's awesome. And we know that because John 13, 34 to 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Listen, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So as you do this, I'm gonna give you my love and with that love, you're gonna love each other and you can do it really well because your double-A stinks. It's gonna run out fast but my love doesn't run dry. So you're like, how do I do that? So as we close, I'm gonna challenge you guys with something. Next week, we're gonna do something real different. I know, we've been doing a lot of real different stuff, haven't we? <laughs> Our service next week is gonna look very different. It's gonna be the first time we've ever done this at Firehouse. But as you come into this room, it's gonna be set up different, and we're gonna do something um, that looks a lot like what we see in these passages. Because we're talking about love, we're talking about bringing, coming into this family. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not neglecting to meet together. Talk about the church, like we should be meeting together. Don't forget that. As the habit of some people are, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like we should be coming together as the body of Christ. We should be doing what we're doing right now. But even more so, we should be doing it outside of this place, like in our lives. We should be visiting each other. We should be in each other's homes. 
We should be at each other's games. We should be loving one another, encouraging one another, and more and more and more, it says, the closer that day comes that Jesus is coming back. And so how do we do that? So here's what we want to do, okay? I'm going I'm to read you a passage from 1 Corinthians. If you've been in church on Sunday morning, you've heard Pastor Titus was preaching from 1 Corinthians 11 for a few weeks, and we're t- we've been talking about this thing called the Lord's Supper. Raise your hand if you know what the Lord's Supper is. Anybody know what that is? All right, so almost everybody. Check out this passage, and I'm going to tell you what we're doing next week. But in the following instructions, I don't commend you. That's a bad thing, right? He's like, right into this church, Paul, he's like, you kind of messed up a little bit. I need to tell you this. Because when you come together, I want you guys to count how many times he says come together. That's one. When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I, recommend, shall I commend you in this? No, I won't. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. All right, so five times in that passage, he says, come together. What do you think is important about the body of Christ, about this family that he's talking about? That we come together. That we do what we're doing now, but we do it in a way where we're saying something. Do you hear what he said we say? We proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus. We look around us and we go, hey, listen, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you so that he could bring you into his family. That's what his death was. And so this thing we call the Lord's Supper, where we take the bread and we take the juice, it represents the body, the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood he spilled for us. And what we're saying together, not just alone in my room when I do that, but I'm with other people that believe, we're telling each other that. Like, hey, listen, Jesus is alive. (laughs) Jesus died for you and he loves you and it encourages us to say, amen. I know that Jesus loves us. So what we're going to do next week is we're going to come into this room and we're going to have a meal together. Your life groups are going to have tables set up in here. And as you come in, you're going to, you're going to eat. 
And after we eat, we're going to do the Lord's Supper for those of you who are believers in Jesus at that time. And anybody's welcome to the meal. But those who believe in Jesus are called to then do the Lord's Supper together. We're going to celebrate and look at each other and proclaim as we take that bread and that juice and say, Jesus died for you. And we're going to spend a little bit of time just talking to each other as we eat together a nice meal and say, we are the body of Christ. We've all been brought into the family. And so we're coming together at the table and we're going to celebrate together. All right? Now, some of you guys go to our church. If you go to church here, First Baptist, I want to encourage you this Sunday night, we're doing a similar thing across the street at the school. Don't forget, you're not just in a youth group. We're part of the body of Christ. This family is so much bigger than just us right here. We're part of First Baptist Church of Merritt Island. We're part of the global body of Jesus, all right? And so that includes old people, young people, all people. So I want you guys to be welcome at 5.30 to come do that this Sunday night over um, at the school. If you want to be a part of that, you believe in Jesus, come be a part of that Lord's Supper. But this Wednesday, we're going to do that together. It's going to be different. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to challenge you guys. Come eat with us. And let's do the Lord's Supper together in place of a, ser- uh, a service like this next week, okay? So will you guys close your eyes for a second? I know I went long tonight, but there was a lot to say. And I'm really excited about this. So deal with it because I love you, okay? All right, so close your eyes. Here's what I want to tell you. I want to ask of you. I told you enough. I'm, t- I'm going to ask now. This is week three of something I've been challenging you guys with. And I want you to take a second to quiet your hearts. Just ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me tonight? Just listen to his voice. And some of you guys, he's been working in you and calling you to step up into leadership positions in different ways. He's saying, look, you believe in me and I'm calling you into my body, so use your gifts to serve the body. And so we put up these papers on the walls that say different things, right? They say FCA and they say jubilation, serving at firehouse or at church in different ways, mission trip Merritt Island. And I've challenged you guys to say, instead of just raising your hand and saying, yeah, I want to serve Jesus, I want you to actually get up, put action to what you're saying. Go over to one of those papers and say, this is how I want to join the body right here together in serving Jesus. I know I can do that on my own and I should, but I should also be joining this family that God brought me into to serve. And so if one of those things God's been calling you to do or all of them, I want you to get up and find a paper. I think there's a student leader paper there too. And you can fill that out and say, this is how God's calling me to step up this year and serve him. And I want you to do that right now as I talk to uh, this next group of people. So if that's you, there's something you need to get up and sign. Will you get up right now and push people out of your way, do what you need to do. Go sign those papers for me. And if you're here tonight and you're like, listen, I don't know Jesus. It sounds really cool. There's this guy you're talking about that can forgive my sin and like fix my life and all this hurt and pain. Take my sin away? Like, but I don't know him. If that's you tonight and you want to be brought into this family that only Jesus can bring you into and you want to know how to do that, will you just raise your hand up so I can see it? I want to pray for you that God would kind of show you how to do that. Like God would speak to your heart. Will you just pop your hand up and say, that's me. Like, I want to know who Jesus is. I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I want my life fixed. Be part of this family that you're talking about. Slide your hand up. Sometimes it's scary to 
get up and walk around, I know, but if you'll just raise your hand up so I can pray for you and see, that's me. Like, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to be part of this family. Can I challenge you that you tonight, will you speak to your life group leader? After this, we're going to break up in our life groups. Will you go up to your life group leader and just say, hey, listen, that, that was me tonight. Like, I raised my hand. I want to be saved. I want to know this Jesus and be part of this family. They would love to pray with you. Or if you want to come find me, I'll be around. Come talk to me, all right? Let me pray for you, and then we'll get up and continue to worship together. Father, we love you so much, God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you that we can be standing here, sitting here together, and we can yell out at the top of our lungs, Jesus died for us. He loves us. We're saved because of Jesus. God, make that so real in our hearts. He's not a crazy dude who just preached a bunch of random things. He is the savior of the world and we believe it. And we sing it to you right now as we come forward and we worship you, God. Will you hear us shout that out? We love you and we believe in you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.